Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students. We're going to get started. I want to recap a few things. What we've been in is this series called Dust to Dust, talking about Genesis, going with God's story from the beginning and how the fall of mankind impacted us all. And, and the, um, the fall from all of that, we have stains on our hands and we need a God to save us. And then we talked about Cain and Abel and this idea of being in the yucky heart club and like all of us need our yucky heart fixed. Um, even the ones of us that, that are following Jesus, we constantly need to turn to him. And tonight, you will, you'll see that this goes one step farther in the story, that things just keep getting worse. They just keep getting worse. Why? Because human beings are involved. So tonight, I want to tell you right up front, I'm not going to play my cards close. I want to show you exactly what tonight's going to be about. Tonight, we are talking about Noah and the ark and the flood, and that leads directly to what baptism is. And I know that kind of seems crazy, but I, and I kind of thought the same thing when I was studying through this, but the road to baptism, the road to Jesus is so clear. And I'm really excited to show you, but I will warn you, it's going to be uncomfortable because we're going to have to talk about the process of a flood and human beings being wiped out. It's, it's uncomfortable. And I, I was driving home the other day, and I always have to pass a feedlot on my way home, and uh, I saw something that just really made me feel uncomfortable. And it's whenever a cow sits like a dog, it bothers me so much. Like, why are you doing that? Stop doing that. <laughs> Go to the, yeah, like, why? Sit down or stand up or roll over or do something. Why, why is this happening? And nobody, I'm not comfortable. That cow is not comfortable. Why is this happening? And I thought, no, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because horses do it too. And look at how uncomfortable everybody is in this situation. And it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> why? If anybody can answer why that happens or make it stop, I would very much appreciate it. It makes me very, very uncomfortable. What? Uh, <laughs> find me later. Tell me everything about the cows. I, usually when I say, somebody explain that to me. Typically, someone doesn't know how to explain it. Round of applause for people who know how to explain cows sitting down like dogs. Good job. Whether she's right or wrong, there it is. So we're going to dive right in. This is Genesis chapter 6. Things keep getting worse, and you will see it as we read. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that, um, keep skipping forward. I, I need to uh, go one more. One more. Yes, the, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become in the earth and that every indication of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. Okay, so here's where we've come. We have Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're like, okay, so this whole situation, God gives them the choice of choosing him or choosing sin, which we've discovered has lead, leads to death. Almost every time leads to death. No, every time it leads to death. And so what happens is the inclination of the human heart has become only evil all the time. There's no repentance. There's no thought of turning back to God. There's no sorrow for it. And, and here's the situation. When we're talking about God knowing hearts, we've got to trust him. Because there could be someone who's come to church for 40 years but has never really chose to follow Jesus in their heart. And they've got to deal with that. 
But there's also people who have come here for the first time, accept Jesus into their heart, die the next day. And I got to trust God with that. I got to trust God that he knew their heart. That's God's role, not ours, not mine. And in this situation, he's saying every human being on the face of the planet had every inclination of evil only all the time. So the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So this is a little weird. We're thinking, God, regret, like what does that mean? It's not the same emotion that we have. In this situation, it's like a painter looks at what has already been painted and goes, that's not, that's not what I was imagining for the end of this. The, the end game isn't that. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I made them. I need to make this right. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So we kind of see this parallel to to Cain and Abel, like Abel's story, how he had a right heart with God. Even though he still needed the Lord, he had a right heart. This is the account. So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put an end to all these people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So this is happening. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And then he goes into this little portion where he describes exactly how he's going to build the ark, like the measurements and all that stuff. So you can check it out. I encourage you to read this yourself. I'm going to move forward. This is how you are to build it. The ark is, okay, so go ahead and skip this part. Yep, go ahead and skip. Skip. Okay, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. So these animals are going to come to you, and you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away for you and for them. And Noah did everything as God commanded him. And so I'm going to paraphrase what happens next, because there's a lot that happens, but I only have 24 minutes with you, so I got, I got to kind of just tell you what happens. I encourage you to go back and read the whole thing yourself. But here's what happens. Noah finishes the ark. He gets in the ark. It starts raining just like God called it. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. And the whole earth floods, and everything that was on the ground, everything that breathed air, died in that flood. Besides what was in the ark, Noah and his family and so after like 370 days, I think was the total ex, ex, uh, like expedition here, the, the ark, before that, the end of the journey, settled in the mountains. And so what happened is um, when it was settled in the mountains, Noah, Noah let out a, a raven. And, and the raven went out, took the L, and never came back. So there was no land for it to land on. And then so Noah said, okay, so he sends out a dove. And the dove goes out and it flies around trying to find land to land on. Couldn't find anything, comes back. Noah waits seven days. He sends a dove out again. The dove finds a leaf of an olive tree and brings it back. So Noah's saying, okay, so the water is receded enough to trees. We're getting close. 
waits another seven days, sends the, sends the dove out again. Dove doesn't come back, so he's like, peace, I'm out, I'm done with that ark. So he's like establishing his life, you know, like living his best life out there. And then Noah decides, okay, it's time to leave the ark. So everyone in the ark opens the door and starts coming out. The ark, which now is also called in our day and age the suburban, um, the, the mom tank, just animals pouring out of it all the time. And so, uh, so all the people leave the ark, and life starts again. And then God talks to Noah after Noah throws a worship service because he's like his mind is just blown that this ever happened. And God talks to Noah, and he says, I'm never going to do this like this again. I'm never going to flood the earth like this. I promise. This is the last time this was going to happen. I'm, like, he implies, like, I'm going to treat water differently from now on. Water is going to stand for something else. And so there's three things that I want to talk about in this story that I think come off right on the top about God's character. And I think one of the things um, that our culture has a difficult time with is the judgment of God. And, and it's interesting because, like, in Asia, for example... They have a much more honor-based culture. And so if their father tells them to do something, they're like, obviously I honor my father and I, and I do what he tells me to. My grandfather sets the rules for this family. It's an honor culture. And so if you were to ask someone from Asia, should God be able to judge people for what they're, what they're doing and, and their, their final destination, all these different things, then they would go, absolutely. He's God. He absolutely should be able to judge. But we as Americans were always like, um, I am the one who judges here. And I want a God who doesn't judge me. I want a God who doesn't judge. Because all I hear about God is that he's this judgy, judgy jerk. And all he does is judge people. That's, that's like what we feel in American culture, right? And by the way, if anybody says, well, my God wouldn't judge me like that. If anybody says, well, my God would blank, run. Because they're making up their own version of God. They're not talking about the God of the Bible anymore. They're saying, well, my God wouldn't judge me if I did that. Run from that. Absolutely wrong. But here's the deal with that. Let's say, play this, play this out with me. Let's say someone comes to you and does something awful to you. Or someone comes to a loved one of yours and does something absolutely awful to them. And then they get away with it. The God that we do not want to approach at the end of the time is this. You get to meet God and you go, God, what about that? When that awful thing happened and God went, hey, I don't judge you know, like, that's between you and that person. I'm just going to lean back. Like, uh, that's all up to you guys. So I'm out. I'm just, I'm just not going to be. Absolutely not. You would be entirely disappointed that someone you called God would act that way. Instead, here's what you get at the end of time when you face God. And if you get the honor of going, God, what about that? He goes, oh, I know. And I saw. And I have not forgotten. And I will make every wrong right. Don't worry, I'll have the last word. See, I don't think we actually in our heart want a God that doesn't judge. We want a God that stands for justice, and he does. Here's the second thing. If I'm in an art class and I'm painting, and I start with a blank canvas, and I have, I have my color palette, and I'm, I'm going to start a scene. I have this beautiful picture in my head, and I'm going to start the scene, and I'm going to start painting, and I pick one color, and I start painting on it, start painting it. And I'm not sure, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose this color. And I start to see the way that those two things blend. And I start to see the way that that's kind of messing up the background and the foreground isn't going to look the same. And I don't really like, this isn't really getting to the final picture. And it's not, I have every right as the painter to go, that's not the way I want it. 
and to take the white and wipe that canvas clean and start over and recreate that canvas. Such is God. God is the painter. He created this whole thing and he has every right to go, I got to recreate here. And when we hear God regretting moments, it's more of that heart. I've got to make things right and I've got to recreate here. And here's the third thing. We're only like a handful of generations removed from Adam and Eve at this point. Like Adam and Eve had the choice of following God and righteousness or following sin. It tastes good, it looks good, but it brings death. Whether it's not death right now or if it's death to your character, your trustworthiness, your innocence, they chose death. And then you see Cain and Abel, their kids, they had the option to choose God, righteousness, or death. And they chose sin and death. Because eventually, also, Seth, who was born, so there was Cain, Abel, and then Seth was born later from Adam and Eve. And Seth lived on and started his family tree. Cain started his family tree. And we've ended up here where all the inclinations of the human heart is only evil all the time. They have completely abandoned the way of God and they've said, we will, we will chase after sin and the death that it produces and that's all we will ever do. They chose that. So here's what I want to say about that. They kind of built this storm for themselves. We think it's pretty harsh that God would flood the earth. And yeah, he chose to do that. That's the way he chose to wipe the canvas. But he also knew their hearts and he knew that none of them desired him whatsoever. And they kind of created their own storm. And maybe that's like your life right now. Maybe you've kind of created your own storm. And the waves are crashing in on you. Maybe you've created your own storm. Here's possibly the sadder thing, is that you woke up in someone else's storm. Is that you had no control over it, but you saw the squall line heading in like a spring Nebraska thunderstorm, and you watched the thing move into your life, and the wind and the hail and the lightning started. And you're in the middle of a storm. Sin caused it either way. Sin that leads to death causes those storms. But I think a lot of us always wonder, where is God in all of this? I know your story. I've read it cover to cover. And I know the storms that will come. waves will swell and the sky will darken. Though you'll fight against the current, you'll be swept away. You'll feel helpless and abandoned, and you'll wonder where I am in the midst of it all. I know this isn't the way you thought our relationship would work, but my plans are not for my comfort or yours. My purposes are always and only an expression of love. The scars in my hands are proof that love will sometimes lead you directly into the storm. Though you can't understand my plans, you can trust in one thing, that I am entirely good. You can't even imagine how good I am, and my plan for you is no different. When you shout asking where I am, know that I am right behind you with my arms wrapped tightly around you, whispering, I will never let go. For you are the pinnacle of my creation, 
and the center of my affection. There will come a day when I will quiet every storm and wipe away every tear. In that day, there will be no more pain or death. But until that day comes, I will be your anchor in this storm. There's this really old guy named Augustine, and he has a quote that says, God judged it better to bring good out of evil instead of suffering no evil at all. Saying, God would rather take something bad and make it good than have no bad at all. God would rather bring beauty out of a storm than to never have storms at all. It shows us his character. God would rather have death and bring life out of it than have no death at all. And I want to show you how he puts his money where his mouth is in the life of Jesus Christ. And we here in this community called Christians, called followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is God in human form and that he came to show us what God's character is like, how God loves, how God communicates with us, how God desires a relationship with us. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man, completely representing our Heavenly Father. And I want to show you the storms that came in Jesus' life to illustrate how God takes something like a flood of disaster and brings life and beauty out of it. How God takes things in the lives of Jesus and the life of Jesus and brings beauty out of it. And it all starts when Jesus shows up on the scene and he's baptized. He's walking up to this situation where his cousin John the Baptist, great band name, great rapper name, John the Baptist, right? And he's, he's there baptizing people, saying the kingdom is coming. The, the Messiah, the Savior of the world is on his way. And Jesus shows up and John goes, that's him. That's the guy. And Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I am not worthy to do such a thing. I am a, I'm a filthy man and I do not deserve any ministry like this. And Jesus says, this is my choice. This is me choosing to fulfill all righteousness. I'm pursuing the will of the Father. I'm pursuing the will of God in this. And so he, so he goes down and he's baptized, which brilliantly illustrates his future death, burial, and resurrection. And in that moment, Scripture says the heavens open up and God's voice said, this is my son, listen to him. Follow him, he's showing you everything I want to show you. He said the Spirit of God came down like a dove, like a dove from an ark that was lost on a mountain. The recreation has started. And so Jesus leaves that place and he goes and starts his ministry and they're doing their like Jesus world tour, right? And they're going to these, these little towns and, and people who couldn't see before can see now. And people who couldn't walk can walk now. And people who are dying are being raised from the dead under Jesus' name. And Jesus is doing all these miracles and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are following him. Trying to ask him questions, trying to learn what he's preaching about. And he gets to this moment where he says, we got to go across this body of water. we got to go across this lake. And he gathers his, his 12 dudes and he says, hey, we got to get into this boat and we got to go. And about halfway across the lake, a storm hits. 
and the waves start crashing in. And these are professional fishermen. They spend their lives in boats. And this storm was bad enough that they were looking at each other going, this is the one. We're going down. We're going to die today. And they go, Jesus. 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 And they find him and he's, and he's just sleeping at the front of the boat. Just totally relaxed. They go, Jesus, Jesus, hey, we're going to die here. And he goes, I'm here. Don't worry about it. He snaps his fingers and the waters go dead. And they go, who is this man? And they're starting to get images and they're starting to realize and they're starting to comprehend. Can you imagine how much that would blow your mind? You're like, this is God. And what happens next is Jesus keeps doing his ministry. And he finds out that his cousin John was killed because he said that Jesus was the king, that Jesus was the savior of the world. Someone killed him for that. And Jesus deeply loved John. And so he's like trying to have this moment of like receiving this news. Have you ever received bad news? How much did you want to feed 5,000 people in the next moment? And Jesus is trying to have this moment, but he sees these people, has compassion on them and goes, all right, tell them to sit down. I've got something for him. And he does a miracle. I know, don't ask me how he does that. I have no idea. It's a miracle. He takes a few loaves of bread and a few fish and he feeds 5,000 people. And some people say they were just counting the men in that situation, not their families. And after that, he finally gets to catch his breath and he's like, you guys go on ahead, get in the boat. We got to cross over here. We got to go do some ministry over there. But I just literally, I just need like, 10 minutes to be with the Father. I'll catch up. And at that point, they've realized that Jesus is up to some pretty cool stuff. Like, he didn't have a boat or anything, but he said, I'll catch up. And they were just like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, get in the boat, and they start taking off. And once again, the waves start crashing, and a storm brews in. And it's wrecking their boat, and they're being thrown all over the place. Once again, these are professional fishermen that know how to handle this situation, and they're freaked out. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, it's a ghost. And the ghost goes, no, it's me. You know me. And Jesus is walking on the water, like riding the waves like he's Sean White and the stinking X Games. Like, <laughs> you ever imagine that situation? And Peter looks out. One of the disciples looks out and goes, Jesus, if that's you, I want to do that too. Like, kind of like redneck faith, you know what I mean? Like, like I, want, I want to do that. And, and so, and so Peter, gets, Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking towards Jesus. And he's literally, he's doing the same exact thing, and he's on these waves, and like, can you imagine, like, how, how much of a thrill that would be? And he's pumped, and he's seeing Jesus, but then all of a sudden he sees the waves, and one of the waves hits him, and he starts to get scared, and he starts to get scared of this wave, and then he starts thinking, and he goes, Jesus, and Jesus grabs his hand and goes, hey, no matter what, I'm here with you in these storms. Have faith in me. I'll be there for you. And get in the boat and head out. And so this Jesus guy is catching a lot of traction with people. Thousands and thousands of people are following him everywhere, and people are getting jealous of him and angry that they're getting thousands and thousands of people. And so these people come up with a plot to kill him. And they succeed, but 
little did they know this was God's plan all along. And so they take the innocent man, Jesus, and they put him before the government. And the government's like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. But the crowd's yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so they go, fine, crucify him. I don't care. And so what happens next is Jesus gets beat, he gets spit on, he gets punched, and they used this whip back in the day. They called it flogging, and they would have um, like glass and sharp rocks at the end, and you would get 39 lashes. And they would go out, and then they would rip back so that they would rip the skin off your back. And so you got 39 of those, and they would rip back. And it was to the point where his organs were showing through his back tissue. And then, after that, they said, you carry this cross. We got like a few miles to go. Get up. And Jesus is carrying his cross. And he gets to the spot, and the same people that he created, that he loves, starts to nail him to this thing. And they put him up on it. And you don't die on the cross because of nails. You die because you suffocate. And so here's Jesus hanging, and he had to put, he had nails in his feet, and he had to push himself up so they could take a breath. And then he would fall back down, and then he would suffocate. And in that moment, that, oh my God, can you imagine being the savior of the world, looking at people who are still mocking you and spitting on you as you die, but going, I love them so much, God, that I'm going to take all this punishment so that they can have a road back to you. And in that moment, he's taking on all the wrath, all the flood that we deserve, all the floodwaters that should be destroying us, he's taking those in. And he dies. He dies, and then a few days later, his friends come to check out the grave, and it's empty. And he comes, and he comes to them, and he's like brand new. He's like brand new, but still has the scars to show it. And he goes, this is what I was talking about the whole time. Even though there was a disaster, I'm going to make something new out of it. So he goes and preaches, and tons of people see him in this form. Tons of people see that he's risen from the dead. The government's like, oh, the grave's empty. His buddy stole it. They admitted that the grave was empty. And so here's Peter, the same guy who walked on water, is in this situation where he's in front of a crowd of all the people who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He goes, listen to me. All you people yelling, crucify him, you missed it. God was trying to show us that in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that he is the Messiah. And what did you do? You killed him. And in a strange turn of events in the Bible, in the storyline, instead of God wiping out evil, evil is trying to wipe out God. And it failed because he rose from the dead. And the crowd is broken. And they didn't realize what they've done. And they go, what do we do? And Peter goes, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent, what does that mean? That means you are headed towards sin and the death that it brings. And you make a full 180. And you look at God and you go, I trust you. And everything that I was heading towards, I want to leave behind and I accept you. And I want to move towards you. And then to be baptized, to imitate his death, burial, and resurrection. And all of that's just the beginning of the journey. And the same guy who preached that sermon wrote this. This is 1 Peter chapter 3. 
For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. That's when he was on the cross, taking on the wrath, the flood, the disaster that we deserve. Taking on the storm. And the righteousness for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. That was the whole point of it all. Is so that you could have a way back to God through that. Jesus took a storm, took death, and brought life out of it. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. He was recreated. And after being made alive, he went to, and made proclamations to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Now, I don't know what he's talking about there. A lot of scholars argue about it. The version I like the most is that he went to spirits that thought he couldn't do it. And he just flexed on them. He just went, what up? And then he walked off. Like, that's my version of Jesus flexing on them. In the days of Noah. See, God was patient in the days of Noah. But here's the deal. They didn't know the next day that the storm was coming. And neither do you. There is no guarantee that you get tomorrow. And some of you know that all too well. There is no guarantee that you get tomorrow. What are you going to do right now about this? He was patient while the ark was being built. And in it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. But that water that destroyed, God is now using that to do another sort of destruction. And that's to destroy the old you. To put to death the sinful version of you, the disobedient one, and to bring back a new life and breathe his spirit into your life. Disaster into a recreation. Disaster and death into a resurrection. God would rather make good out of bad than suffer no bad at all. And Jesus is now over the authority of everything, sitting at God's right hand. So here's my question for you tonight. What's the disaster in your life that needs to be turned into a miracle? What is the storm in your life that needs to be turned into something beautiful? What is the death that has brought, been brought into your world through sin that needs to be brought to life? What's your next step? If you're serious about this, if you want to take Jesus up on this offer, you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you repent and you say, these old ways are done. I'm moving towards you now, Father. And to fulfill all righteousness, just like Jesus, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Would you do it? Would you take this step? Would you allow the same God that will take a flood and create something new out of it? 
to do something in your life? Would you allow God to take the death that you're experiencing in your world to resurrect it? To resurrect you? To bring you back to life? Will you allow a God who's willing to bring good out of bad to help you rise from the ashes of defeat? I don't know if you will. I don't know. But I'll spend every night we're here at Element preaching to you that it's probably, it is absolutely the best thing that you could choose in your life. And this is as real as it gets. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the fact that you would come and take on a disaster so that we could live is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The way you take a storm and you bring resurrection out of it, something recreated. God, the hope that that gives. I pray for the person in here tonight that's been sitting on the fence, unwilling to jump in, to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I've heard enough. I keep coming up with excuses. Will you take my life? Will you accept my offering? of saying, this is all I have, but I'll bring it to you and I'll repent and start to follow you and be obedient in the baptism. Jesus, would you teach our hearts how to be humble and seek a life resurrected out of the death of sin? Thanks for joining Element. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.